Mahagata. So it's the time and the opportunity now to set our hearts on the Dhamma. Today is the 30th of September, 2020, the last day of this month. And in just two days, it will be the end of the monastic rains retreat, uh, the Pawarana or invitation day. And this retreat has uh, 90 days in total. And if throughout this rains we've been devoted to the practice, then we should have gained some knowledge and understanding in the Dhamma. And we should have gained quite a lot. Because this period, it's not a small amount of time. But even so, it's reaching the end of the rains, but we should still practice further outside of this retreat. Um, because this knowledge into the Dhamma and understanding the Dhamma, it happens independent of this rains retreat. It can happen both inside and outside of this time because the Dhamma is timeless, just like we chanted before. And there are many benefits uh, to the Dhamma in this way. So those who practice following the Dhamma and seeing the Dhamma are those who have practiced well, those who have practiced directly, insightfully, and those who practice with integrity. And these are the sadhakas, the disciples of the perfectly awakened Buddha, those who know the Dhamma. And so this Dhamma can fruit or blossom without um, any limits in terms of time. If we are talking about a fruit tree, however, that only gives fruit in line with seasons. And some trees, uh, they don't fruit every year. In some years, there may be uh, a lot of fruit, some years just a little bit of fruit. But whenever we practice the Dhamma, um, this arises uh, following causes and conditions. If our mindfulness is good, if our samadhi is well grounded, then this will lead on to wisdom. So when we have this sati, mindfulness, and um, samadhi, then there'll be a lot of wisdom coming up as well that will take us to understand into causes and effects. We'll see, however, that um, when our minds receive a sense impression, if there's mindfulness there, then our wisdom should be on top of it as well. We'll then be able to contemplate in a way that we understand these sense impressions clearly, and we can put them down, let them go. But sometimes we have to teach our minds as well and say to them, this thing, it's inconstant, yeah? It's unstable, it won't last. This is just a collection of elements. It's just earth, water, fire and air. It's not self, yeah? then our minds, they can understand in this way. They can accept that truth. And it can be easy. We may not have to do much instruction. So Lung Pu Cha, he taught this way. And he said it's, he taught in a way that's very clear. 
Um, but sometimes we do have to instruct our minds even more because they may not be able to accept just that little bit of teaching. So we have to contemplate even more until we can reach a point of wisdom. So we need to try and put in our efforts in this practice um, and to cut off any doubts and any hesitation towards this path. Because we may ask ourselves, well, how should we practice? How is it that I'm going to attain samadhi? How do I practice to get wisdom? Because we can want to see the Dhamma so much. But if we um, ground our minds and we practice this way, uh, this path that the Buddha taught and do this without stopping, then that will take us to seeing the Dhamma for sure. There may be doubts arising and that's just natural for them to come up, but we need to have our awareness to stay abreast of them, to be on top of them. Because when our mindfulness is weak and there's no collectedness of heart, then these doubts can really play around with us, mess around with us. And they can make the mind really dark and gloomy. And it's like we're in a forest and we can't find a way out. So there can be a lot of delusion present in the mind, lost uh, with these sense impressions. So when our mind is deluded, how do we instruct them? How can they learn? There needs to be this uh, knowing nature, the one who knows, coming up as well. We need to build this one who knows. In order for wisdom uh, to arise, we also put our efforts into cultivating mindfulness, this uh, sati, recollection, and sampajanya, this clear all-round knowing, and make these qualities continuous, always present. And also really try at this practice. So when we're walking, when we're sitting, or maybe we're doing some work, maybe we're chanting, um, then we always are instructing ourselves and coming back, reminding ourselves, teaching ourselves constantly. And when we can always remind ourselves of this practice and always have our energy there, then the mindfulness will increase and develop. Our samadhi will become more and more well-grounded. Even though it's difficult in the beginning, as we practice, uh, the samadhi becomes better. Maybe it starts off as kanaka samadhi, this uh, small or minor form of samadhi, but that's already good. We may listen to the Dhamma or be with our meditation object and the mind feels very peaceful. It fills up with joy. And this is something praiseworthy. But we also need to take care as well to still cultivate uh, these qualities. Because there are times when mindfulness and samadhi is absent from the heart, and then the kilesas uh, can really uh, have a big impact on the mind. So 
maybe the mind will get into depressed states. Maybe it'll just be all scattered all over the place. And we won't have any control over what's going on because our mindfulness is too weak. So we need to take a lot of care. And what do we do at that point? Well, whatever works, whatever method we can use uh, to cultivate good qualities. We listen to a lot of Dhamma, do chanting over and over and over again, or contemplate a lot. Whatever helps for us to regain control over our minds. In the beginning, we may need to do these practices for many hours um, and always be restraining the mind, not letting it just follow the emotions it feels. There may be a, not, a lot of aversion or annoyance coming up, but we shouldn't let that disperse outwards to other people, but rather come back and look at our own minds, look at ourselves. See that the reason we're suffering is because our minds are devoid of wisdom. They still have clinging and attachment, so we shouldn't blame others. If we live in a family and we have these emotions of um, being aggravated, being irritated, and we allow our minds to just follow that, then that will cause chaos to arise in our families. Or if we're in society and we do that, then our societies will be unsettled. So for us to come and bring our minds to peace and just do this as one person, that brings benefits not only to ourselves, but to all of those around us. And when we um, So then we gain knowledge from this practice. But in the beginning, it requires great forbearance. We really have to bear with everything. And this uh, quality of patient endurance is something we really have to bring up very strongly. Because even though sometimes mindfulness and wisdom is present, it's not always there. Maybe when we're doing formal meditation practice, we can keep these qualities with us. But when we get out of that uh, formal meditation and we meet with uh, whatever sense impression it is, and there can be a lot of uh, unskillful reactions to that, the mind just gets averse towards our experiences and there can be no loving kindness there. Maybe we get really angry uh, with other people we try to spread metta towards them. Um, but as soon as we see them, all that metta just disappears. Therefore, when we practice uh, cultivating loving kindness, we need to do it to ourselves first and only to those who are uh, annoying to us later. When we train our minds to get better at the practice, to grow higher, then our ego, our sense of self-importance, reduces. So the Kruba Ajans, they taught for us to consider ourselves like a foot-wiping rag. And this is how Lumpur Man taught, to see that oneself just doesn't really have much of any value. 
and just like uh, a cloth that one uses, an old cloth to wipe feet. And anyone can come and use that cloth, or they can uh, wipe their feet with it, they can go and wipe the floor with it. This is teaching us to have no self. Because if we consider ourselves to be someone who's very important, someone very high up, then this means that a sense of self has a lot of kilesa behind it. When other people blame me, when they insult me, there's always this me there. There's always ego behind it. So therefore, we should train our minds and take good care around them as well. Because sometimes uh, our minds have little samadhi and no wisdom. So at that time, we need to develop uh, this quality of sila, especially. Taking care around our speech so that we don't get involved um, with untruthful speech, with harsh, harsh speech, or with uh, gossip or slander. Because if we say something that's very harsh or untrue, um, then not only do we suffer, but other people suffer as well. And if wives and husbands um, habitually speak in this way, then there'll be a lot of difficulty and uh, suffering in that relationship. And with us practitioners, if we get involved in unskillful speech, then we just waste this opportunity. So we take care of uh, our words, of the things that we say. And this means that we're practicing in the correct way and have a lot of forbearance, endurance. This is a quality we need to bring up a lot in the beginning. If the mind is proliferating greatly, we can ask ourselves, where is this coming from? We don't want our mind to be thinking, so why is it going and thinking in this way? We don't want for it to be involved with ill will, so why are we getting all these thoughts of harming others? And tell ourselves this isn't the way of practice. We are people who want peace in the heart. And so when we restrain or collect our actions of our body and speech within the bounds of sila, then there'll be energy arising in the heart. Sometimes we may not have the intention uh, to cause harm, but still our actions are a cause of suffering. When any sense impression comes up, we need to take great care over our minds. Having mindfulness, looking at our own hearts, teaching ourselves. Not allowing the minds to get involved in liking or disliking. And this will give us confidence in the path of practice. We'll see that this path of practice does lead towards Maga, Pala, Nibbana. In the beginning, we need uh, to contemplate a lot, however, and through this contemplation to firmen and strengthen our samadhi, and also use a lot of forbearance as well. Maybe we'll get to a point where when we sit in meditation, 
the mind will drop into upajara samadhi. But when we open up our eyes and get up, then it feels like almost all of that energy, all of that collectedness uh, has left the heart. And every emotion, every sense impression pierces our minds. Whether it's greed, hatred or delusion, this all floods into the mind because it's absence of this quality of collectedness. So we need to contemplate a lot at that point, to be very careful, to try and gather our minds in, use whatever method works to bring about awareness in samadhi. Carrying on doing this until when we sit in meditation, there's a sense of ease. When we walk, uh, we feel uh, relaxed and comfortable. Even so, when we stop this formal practice, um, then these sense impressions can come in. It's difficult, but we have to endure with it, carrying on practicing until our mindfulness and our collectiveness of heart does improve. It gets stronger and stronger until it turns into something that's quite amazing. And we'll see the results of the practice clearly for ourselves. When the samadhi drops to an even deeper level, and we come out of that samadhi, but um, we can still maintain a good sense of collectedness. And we're able to govern our minds better than we were before. The heart feels very light. And whether we're doing sitting walking meditation, sitting meditation or walking meditation, um, we can sustain our samadhi. We come to sit again and there's great joy in the mind. The factors of samadhi all come together. Uh, this uh, vitaka, vichara, piti, sukha, ekakada. The mind comes, gathers into one point. It's very still here and very quiet as well. It's like the pendulum of a grandfather clock that's not swaying anymore. There's no thoughts going on and it's very peaceful. Sometimes practitioners may get the impression, however, that when the mind is still in this way, it's devoid of wisdom. But there's great happiness there in the heart, great joy, which does lead on to wisdom. We need to be careful, however, with the stillness, because sometimes the heart can be very still, but also very dull and sunken. So if there's stillness, but there's also um, a sunken quality, that means is that the heart has fallen into depression and sadness. There also needs to be a fullness, uh, a nourishment of the heart as well. And if we felt that, then we can compare these two states. We know what the heart is like when it's filled up with joy, when it has merits uh, infusing the heart, and we know what it's like when the heart is devoid of merit. So this practice and this training, really what it is, is a fight between wisdom and ignorance, avijja. We see that avijja uh, causes us to suffer, but our wisdom causes us to feel joy and brightness. When our mindfulness uh, gets better, 
then slowly we'll start gaining victory over this ignorance. This ignorance that has been uh, engulfing our minds for such a long time. The mind will um, gather towards emptiness. You may see these bodies, contemplate them as just being a heap of elements or something that's unattractive or that they're anatta, not self. And the mind really fills up with brightness and with joy through seeing this emptiness. And this is the path of wisdom cultivating and fruiting in emptiness. But this emptiness, it's not just present when we sit. We can also contemplate in this way when we're walking or standing as well. So contemplating the body as being a heap of elements, um, we can also see it then break down from that point, see it break up into anatta. And here knowledge arises. This is the beginning of us seeing the Dhamma, slowly, little by little. Then this strong faith also arises, but it's a faith that comes from wisdom. Initially, it's just a belief, but as we carry on practicing, uh, the faith um, is informed with wisdom, arises from wisdom. And when we have this panya caring for our minds, um, then our practice will develop significantly. Maybe we try to stay with the meditation word Buddha all day, but the mind can be really bored with that practice. So instead we should use our wisdom faculty, asking ourselves questions, allowing our minds to answer those questions. Asking, is this really me? Is this them? Sometimes we don't remember someone's name, and why is that so? We see them, we used to know their name, but that's just gone. And that's because they don't really have a name. If uh, faculties or, um, or if the memory uh, function of our brain isn't working so well, then <coughs> people's names just won't arise. But when that memory does come up, then suddenly their name appears. So we see that it's just conventional in this way. All um, labels that we give things, whether it's male or female, old or young, these are all just conventions. They're all anatta, they're not actually real, they're not really there. As we carry on contemplating like this, uh, then eventually we'll see that all things are just conventions in this way. We keep going until our mindfulness is strong enough so that we don't attach to any of these. But we're aware of everything that's going on in the mind, not allowing our minds to fall into liking or disliking, keeping them in the still and centered state, contemplating until there's a clarity to our inner vision. And when there's this um, clearness there, the mind then empties out. And what's that like? There's so much joy and happiness in that state. It's like we've tasted a delicious bit of food. We've tasted the flavor of the Dhamma. So this flavor of the Dhamma is pure emptiness. When our minds are full, they're joyful. 
um, then we'll understand what that's like. Sometimes we can uh, restrain our minds and have them into a collected state. And then they'll see everything as being empty. Joy arises, there's a fullness in the heart, and this can come up for three days and three nights. And maybe we know what it's like for there to be joy uh, flooding the heart for just 30 minutes while we're listening to a Dharma talk, for instance. We may know what that's like. So then you can just imagine what it could be like for the heart to be full of rapture for three whole days and three nights. But that's what happens when we see the Dhamma. And we see that there's a great value of the Dhamma. Nothing can compare to it. So we say it's Apamano Buddha, Apamano Dhammo, Apamano Sangho. The Buddha is limitless, the Dhamma is limitless, the Sangha is limitless. And we'll say Sadhu, pay our highest respects to the Dhamma of the Buddha. Say Sadhu to the Dhamma, this truth, and Sadhu to the Sangha. And it's all, uh, these are all very amazing uh, things. We'll have gained true knowledge in our own hearts. So we should come and look for ourselves, try and find our own minds. It's something that bears incredible importance for us. In order to do this, we need to practice this path every day. So we should try to carry on in this way continuously, going without stop. And if we do that, we'll have to see the Dhamma clearly in this very life.